everyone and welcome to Genetically Podified, the podcast that is making my Saturday mornings really educational. Woo! Yeah, education! My, <laughs> my Saturday mornings have never been so educational in my life. <laughs> yeah, I used to laze around, watch crappy Saturday morning television, maybe I used to watch sleep. the Teletubbies. I used to just... sleep. Probably a better idea, you know. <laughs> I used to just, you know, just sleep. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it's actually really good, you know. It's getting myself really excited about my Saturday mornings, where usually it's just like, you know very chill very yeah uh, you mean recovery day from partying so hard on friday obviously oh yeah i partied so hard yesterday in the office until 8 8 p.m yeah Yeah. that was fun (laughs) i did actually have a drink yesterday and i've not had a drink for a while because it's been affecting my sleep weirdly but i had one pint and i felt really really weird (laughs) like it my tolerance has gone like out of the window it's not good uh, we're too old james I know. we're getting older the recovery time from one pint is insanely long <laughs> like i wish somebody oh, for all shameful. the scientists out there for all the behavioral scientists out there please do a study on how long it takes for you to recover from a hangover <laughs> the difference from when you're 70 well let's make them 18 when you're 18 yeah. <laughs> and from when you're 30 years almost almost not yet not yet 30 years old but you know you know what i mean Anyways, shall we get on with our episode today? So today, I'm basically passing on the the witness. Is that how you said it in in British? Passing you know where the the, the, the sport. Oh, oh the baton, the baton, the, passing the baton. Ah, the baton. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but yeah. the mic sounds sounds better. Yeah, we are using mics. <laughs> yeah. We are. Uh, so I'm passing the mic to James on a regulatory issue. So mm. that, that that's going to be very interesting, I think. And today we're going to be talking about patents, or as I've been saying it wrong for the last 27 years, patents. <laughs> I actually don't know if it's patents or patents. I think in American it might be patents, and then oh, okay. English okay. it's patents. So I'm, I'm not fully wrong. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Or... You're, you're just American, which is only half wrong, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, James. <laughs> And please introduce us to the world of patents. Patents. We'll go through a few definitions and like different patents and different ways of managing patents in different countries, and then we'll try to make sense of them in the realm of genetically modified organisms. So on to you, James. Lead on. Alrighty. Okay, let's get going. Before we begin, the views expressed here are our own. Nobody else's. Okay. Yeah, so we're going to look at patents today because one of the, the big issues around GM that a lot of people like to complain about is around sort of big agri companies like Monsanto. And mm-hmm. the the accusations are that they abuse farmers by suing them at any given opportunity. So we wanted to investigate that a bit more. Mm-hmm. The other thing behind it is that there are kind of ethical issues, I suppose, about patents yeah. and whether we should be patenting living things and that kind of stuff. So what we're not going to talk about in this episode is the sort of general ethics of patenting full stop, Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. really complex 
and I think just very ethical and very morally driven and very much depends on how you view the role of society yeah in influencing individuals yeah we would need like a proper hardcore social scientist either a philosopher or an anthropologist to talk about something like this if any of you are out there and want to talk about this you can come as a guest on our podcast yeah man that would be cool I'd love to know (laughs) a bit more about that yeah 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 but yeah it's not so much about GM that kind of patent issue Mm -hmm. so we're gonna ignore that entirely but we are going to look at whether we should be patenting plants and GM stuff. So we are going to work in reality in a world where patents do exist for basically everything. And we are going to be asking whether it's okay to be patenting GM stuff and the implications of that. So first we'll look at what different countries are doing. So the EU allows the patenting of genes if it has been isolated from its natural environment. So if you have a potato gene that's still in the potato, you can't patent that. Ah, okay. That's a... Okay. I like that. Yeah, yeah. But if you (laughs) take that potato gene out of the potato and put it in a tomato, that is patentable. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The US is basically the same thing, but they have this kind of caveat in terms of like, if it's a naturally occurring thing... It can be patentable if it's been removed from that natural environment. So that doesn't just mean genetic stuff. That's why mm-hmm. you can have a patent for adrenaline and for insulin. Ah, Because right. okay. those things, Got like it. the yeah. adrenaline yeah. that we treat with is a chemical found in humans. But it's not like we're farming humans to make it. We're making it, in the, <laughs> yeah. uh, chemically synthesizing it. So yeah. that can be patented and that can be a drug. And okay. then the process of making it can be patented as well. And the same for insulin, mm-hmm. which is a protein. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the similar sort of thing goes in terms of genes, where if it's a naturally occurring gene, if you take it out of that natural environment, it's patentable. Mm-hmm. And then the final one that comes up is Australia, which has kind of had lots and lots of different like Supreme Court hearings as to whether it should be legal oh, okay. or not. And it kind of keeps jumping from one side of the fence to the other. So that's kind of a sort of generalisation of where the world's at. And I think as well, if it is a novel set of nucleotides, a novel gene, a novel stretch of DNA, that can be patented Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, want it to put that's into what I was a thinking. new organism. That's what I was thinking, because I was thinking about things like uh, RNAi. So we've spoken before about RNAi, and mm. RNAi is basically you have to introduce a gene that is that contains a part that is compatible and complementary to a piece of messenger RNA. Mm. So that is not necessarily something that is taken from another organism. It's something that is synthetic. So, yeah, Yeah. it makes sense that that would also be considered pathogen. What I was wondering, as you were talking about it, and I was thinking about CRISPR and gene editing and gene edited crops and how some of them, if not most of them, only consist, like the modification only consists of the changing of a couple of bases or... Nucleotides, yeah. A nucleotide, sorry. Or, for example, the repetition of the same gene twice to increase. Mm. But that is also can be done on uh, with GMOs normally. So I, I'm wondering, like, I don't know if there's an answer to this, but I'm wondering what are the implications in terms of gene editing and CRISPR. And if the, mm. this patenting issue has anything to do with the liberalization in the US of CRISPR crops. So that, it's an interesting, yeah. it's, it, it, I think it's interesting. Yeah, so I think the patenting will be possible for gene editing, just because, mm. for example, like the Arctic apple, 
all they've done mm-hmm. is knock out one gene with a very small change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that is a change in the DNA code. So I think that specific change is patentable. Whether, ah, okay. however, you can break that gene by, you know, changing the nucleotide that they did, but you could also break it by changing a bunch of the nucleotides. Many, many small changes in that gene will break its function and then yeah, 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 will yeah. enable Arctagabal to still do it. I don't know mm-hmm. if the patent is specific to that nucleotide that they changed or it's specific to knocking out that gene via a change. Right, okay. But no one has attempted to mimic the Arctic apple with a different yeah, fair nucleotide enough. change. So when that issue fair arises, enough, yeah. I'm sure we'll do a, a little update to this episode. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. The next thing I want to look at is the different types of patents that can be used for editing plants. The mm-hmm. first one is the plant patent, and the second one is a utility patent. So utility patents can be utilized for many many different things but it's a specific type of patent that many gm plants get used for i'm not going to go into huge amounts of details for them but the 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 main point of them is that in a plant patent you are able to regrow that plant but not sell it okay so you can gather the seeds plant it yourself in your garden but as long as you don't sell it then it's okay Okay. but in the utility patent you can't replant Mm -hmm. it and then you obviously can't resell it either So it's the idea of whether you can make copies of it for your own use or you can't make copies of it full stop. Okay. And that's kind of where the difference lies. So there are plants, I believe, that have plant patents, which are kind of like decorative plants, like orchids and roses. You can buy them, collect the seeds, and then continue growing them in your garden. Yeah, there's lots of ornamental flowers uh, Mm. genetically modified in the EU. Mm. I think in the Netherlands? No, maybe not. They're mm. they're marketed for sure, and not and they're not cultivated, but they are definitely marketed. Mm. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. Go on. Go on. But yeah, most of the GM crops fall under the utility type of mm-hmm. patent, whereby you can't replant the seeds that you get from them, and you can't sell them after that. And that is it is that basic copying thing in terms of if you buy a book, you can't just make loads of copies of that book and then sell that book again. It's the owner of the person who made it, which I personally understand. And that's kind of how a lot of these lawsuits have gone down that route. So in this episode, we're only going to look at two lawsuits, which kind of typify the type of lawsuits that have gone on between farmers versus Monsanto. Mm-hmm. And I think in a later episode, I personally would find it really interesting to go through all of the different lawsuits and see if any yeah. of them were actually awful and Monsanto abusing their power or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. Because, I mean, there's a lot of documentaries and I don't know if I would call them documentaries because they're like very one-sided in terms yeah, of yeah. Uh, of opinion when it comes to to GMOs but that they're they they say pretty horrible things so you know as a GMO enthusiast I think you're always keen on saying oh no that's all bullshit but it'd be very cool to go to the roots of it and see if there's any truth you know underlying everything mm. you know that yeah definitely an episode on that would be very cool so so yeah I think we'll, we'll do that in the future get just a list of literally every lawsuit there has been with Monsanto versus farmers and just see what happens see what we find it may well be that Monsanto has completely abused their power and then I will think even less of them but uh, we'll see (laughs) but yeah so the two examples I want to go through firstly is I don't actually know the the name of this like someone Mm -hmm. versus Monsanto but it's from one of these documentaries the documentary is called David versus Monsanto it's kind of like David versus Goliath thing 
and it's an infringement claim. So it's one of these claims where Monsanto says, oh, a farmer has taken our seed and regrown mm-hmm. them against the license. Right, okay. But actually, so this is a bit more complex than that because this particular farmer didn't even have a license. He never bought the seeds in the first place. Ah, okay, 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 okay. So I, I think the documentary goes into this big sort of thing. You know, it shows the little underdog versus the big company, mm-hmm. and it, it takes that kind of take. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm just going to ignore that documentary and go into what actually happened in the court and mm-hmm. why Monsanto won that case in the end. Yeah. So essentially this chap took this Roundup Ready GM canola. So this is that GM plant that is genetically modified to be resistant to the herbicide glyphosate. So you can spray glyphosate all over your field, all the weeds die and all your plants Roundup are A-OK. Ready. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there should be like a storytelling music underlying all of this. Like, <laughs> I'm a chap who once went, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyways, sorry, keep going. So this farmer had never bought that GM plant, but his neighbouring farmer had. And he collected mm-hmm. the seeds from that farmer and then planted it on his field. Shiggy. Yeah, and then after growing it on that field, he also sprayed his own field with Roundup. So everything died yeah. apart yeah, from yeah, yeah. the Roundup Ready GM crop. So his field had about 95% of yeah. the crops on it were these Monsanto GM crops, which he hadn't purchased, he hadn't made the investment for. And that amount of GM crop on your field is, quote, unusually high. Uh, which seems like kind of polite phrase for 95%. Oh. That's fucking high, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so the point is he's replanted it with no license in the first place. So essentially what he's done is if we think about taking software on a program, so downloading Microsoft Word, for example, uh, he didn't buy Microsoft Word in the first place. And then after he had illegally stolen it in, in legal terms. Cracked it. Cracked it, Yeah. <laughs> He made many, many copies of it and then made money selling those copies of it, which if it was anything else, you'd be like, yeah, that's a crime. You can't do that. But because it's Monsanto, Mm -hmm. everyone wants to attack them and just say, oh, well, you know, it's life. You can't steal what's already living and that kind of stuff. But actually, Monsanto Mm -hmm. spent a lot of resources making this GM crop. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I, I personally feel that that's theft. I'm not saying I don't, like, download stuff illegally off the internet. I'm clearly not, like, a, a moral god. but uh, <laughs> We're not we're not uh, downloading saints. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I, but... I'm not selling it either. And uh, I'm also not getting caught. Yeah, so. fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> well, this podcast is public, so I'm not sure that... <laughs> uh, when when they start imprisoning James... <laughs> people for streaming videos online... <laughs> Literally everyone in our generation is going to jail. So, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Which might solve our employment <laughs> problems, but hey, future. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, the the other iteration of these types of lawsuits is one called Bowman versus Monsanto, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is the other type of case where they did have the license, they bought it in the first place, and then they collected the seeds and replanted it again. And again, like that, that's a bit more of a an issue on how you feel about those utility patents and whether they can should be allowed to to do that 
whether yeah. you should be forced yeah. to buy it year upon year. Or if you should be allowed to save it. Mm. I'm going to get on to a bit more of that later on when we look at yeah. whether farmers feel that they are being locked into this Monsanto system. Yeah. But yeah, yeah so those yeah, are the yeah, types yeah. of lawsuits. And like I said, we haven't looked into literally every one yet. But generally, those mm-hmm, are the sort mm-hmm. of categories that they fall into. Either they have not bought it and are growing it, or they have bought it and then grow it repeatedly against the license and patent and agreement that they signed up for. Yeah, uh, I remember watching one of those uh, documentaries called GMO OMG. Mm. Oh, fun. Which, if, if you ask me, it would have been a really cool pro-GMO kind of GMO OMG. Yeah. And like, but they've used it first, so it's like, wah, wah, wah. We just got to reclaim it, you <laughs> know, kind of... reclaim it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and I remember, and I, maybe I can look into this more for the episode when we actually talk about all the lawsuits and stuff. It was a lawsuit where a seed saver, but it's like a seed siever as well. You know, those people that go around um, fields and basically sieve your seeds to separate it from uh, all the oh, right, debris yeah, yeah. from the field and stuff so that you can then store it and save it for the next year. And the claim that this documentary was making was that uh, this kind of profession is now decreasing and decreasing more and more and more because these people are being sued by Monsanto for saving certain GMO seeds and blah, blah, blah. But I'll definitely look into that more because there is also another, a different aspect, a different kind of lawsuit. Mm. The final thing to mention on the Monsanto lawsuit side is that Monsanto has publicly Mm -hmm. said that it hasn't and won't ever sue for inadvertent contamination. So this idea that a little bit of your neighbour's seed blows onto your field and Mm -hmm. contaminates Mm -hmm. a small amount of your field with GM DNA, Mm -hmm. they won't sue for that. And they have basically an arbitrary value of if it has less than 1% GM crops in there, then it won't sue. So we'd need to look into these lawsuits, like I say, again, to see if they have sued for 2% contamination, you know, which would be a bit harsh. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's the sort of arbitrary value. They have publicly said that they won't for inadvertent contamination. So online, you can find a lot of stories about this accidental contamination. Mm -hmm. Monsanto has publicly said if they do believe it to be accidental, then they won't sue. Yeah, it it makes sense. I mean, there are a certain amount of measures that you have to take when you cultivate GMOs to prevent them from contaminating non-GMO neighbouring fields. And if you haven't, you know, applied those measures, then it makes sense, Mm. you know, if you have, like, unlawfully just planted GMOs, however you want it, blah, 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 blah. But if you have respected the measures and still there has been some contamination, I mean, you can't control the wind. Yeah, yeah. Corn pollinates by wind, so it, it can happen. Mm. So I guess if that is the policies that they're applying, I absolutely yeah. agree with that. The other thing to mention with that is that in the developed world, this goes a bit more into how developed world farmers deal with big agri companies. But in the developed world, most farmers actually buy their seed every year anyway for a variety of different reasons, yeah. whether it's GM or not. Yes. So actually, if there's yes. contamination from pollen, the only thing that's going to be GM on the contaminated field will be the seeds. The general plant, the stalk, the stem, which are the bits that will have the herbicide resistance in them, that won't be GM, but only the seeds will be. And then that will get harvested by the farmer. And then if they are a non-GM farmer anyway they will replant their seeds from a new set of seeds rather than from their collected seed stock generally. 
and then that new field will be non-contaminated non-GM again. again. So it, it does kind of depend. On, there's that complexity as well. Yeah, there is that complexity. I think there is a little bit of controversy to up there. Of course, when you harvest, part of the seeds will fall on the ground and will grow again. But coming from a farm, that always happens with all kinds of mm. crops. And what usually happens is the farmer will then either spray a herbicide all over it and just kill all the plants mm. or till the soil and basically kill the plants by basically destroying the plant before it gives seed again. So I remember speaking to my uncle. He used to be one of those people that has a lot of tractors and a lot of machineries and people just rent him basically to go and do work on the farms for for, for themselves and he gets paid for that. Uh, and I remember, considering he's a quite an anti-GMO person, I remember him saying that a problem was that because most... Um, um, there's no GMOs in Italy. He was just hearing these things, you know, mm. from other countries and stuff. One problem was that if you, after harvest, let the seeds germinate, so you, you make them unviable for, like, future germination when the season for your new crop starts over. If you let them germinate and then you spray the herbicide, if the GMO is a herbicide-resistant GMO, those won't die. Yeah. <laughs> and that is a problem. But in terms of, like, there's other measures that you can take. There is... Uh, you can just, um, I don't know, the British for trincha. Trincha is a machinery <laughs> that basically cuts the grass. It, it's like a lawnmower for like big fields. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and <that way>. and <laughs> if you mow on your fields, then then um, it, it, the problem will be solved. There is ways around that, even without actually tilling the field, because we know that tilling can have a, a bad impact on soil health and mm. stuff like that. But yeah, it is an issue. Like the presence of the GMO the year after that, it, there still can be some of it and they can still pollinate and stuff like mm. that. I think that is one of the reasons why and one of the drivers of what we've spoken about earlier on, which was terminator seeds. Mm. Yeah. Uh, which again, doesn't exist. exist. It's not a not thing. It's, <laughs> it's not real. But it was spoken of for a while, I think also because of that. Yeah, um, yeah. Because of the complaints of like possible contamination and stuff like that. But yeah, sorry for the digression. I thought that it was an interesting thing that my uncle Yeah, definitely. That it's good and, to have and, some and, real yeah. world evidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so I'm just going to discuss a couple of the pros and cons. So this is one of the reasons why Monsanto has these types of patents in terms of patenting in the first place mm -hmm. and then also uh, yeah. repeated patents where you have to buy the seed every year yeah. so essentially the reason is because every new gmo at the moment this will become a lot cheaper with crispr i expect costs on average 136 million dollars to generate which is a shit ton of money it is so you can't just be like handing it out for nothing you know and the average uh, patent of a GM crop lasts between sort of 15 and 20 years. And they're a research company. They have to be able to get that money back to be able to invest for future research. Yeah. There are companies that do this that we really don't like. So big agri and big pharma. Yeah. We always accuse them of doing this. But actually, every company does this. Every tech company does this. Yeah, absolutely. Every time you buy a piece of software like Microsoft Word, you're buying it for 70 quid or something. And that buys you, what, three uses of the microsoft office and that money goes back into microsoft so they can make new cool shit yeah and it, it's actually now we've, we've been talking about patenting on gmo crops but actually the patenting dispute is happening right now for crispr itself 
So the mm. people who discovered the applications of CRISPR in uh, microbes and in eukaryotic cells, basically plants, are still debating who is getting the rights to the technology. And it's mm. a shit ton of money there because Jennifer Doudna, who is one of the pioneers that discovered CRISPR technology, could possibly make a shit ton of money out of this because now everybody's using CRISPR for basically everything. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a huge debate and it, it still involves patents because, of course, if you discover something new, you have to claim ownership over the technology if you want to make the profits, mm. as you said, like keep making research and stuff like that. And with something as huge as CRISPR, it's that, that's massive. So it happens for a, a, a shitload of things. It happens for books. In Italy, it happens for music. Every time you play a song in a public environment, you have to pay taxes to the SIAE, mm, yeah. uh, which is the so Italian Society for Artists and Entertainers. Mm. Like there's patterns are everywhere. <laughs> yeah. They're all around us. <laughs> <laughs> and as you said before, they're not only on GM crops, they're on all sorts of crops. Yeah. They're on a variety of crops. So something that you might know, and this is da 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 da, Roberta, te te <laughs> food technologist. <laughs> uh, it's Kamut. Do you know what Kamut is, James? Uh, nope, never heard of it. So Kamut is basically a marketing, um, a certified, oh, what's it called? Oh, English, fucking English. <laughs> you can tell that I've been, I'm back from Italy and holidays. Um, okay, let me Google it. Registered trademark. There we go. So Kamut is a registered trademark for a specific kind of wheat. So a lot of people, especially if you're a vegetarian or if you're really keen on alternatives kind of cereals and stuff, you might have heard of Kamut. You might think that it's actually a crop variety, that it's different from wheat, but it's not. Kamut is a registered trademark and you cannot cultivate it. Mm. It's a specific thing. And the, the trademark has now become a symbol of the whole crop, although it is still wheat. And it's basically just a high protein wheat. That's nothing cool. more, That's nothing less. Uh, it's, it's quite interesting. Even if it were not patented, it would still be in your interest as a farmer to not plant them the next year. Mm. And that has to do with something we've mentioned before, which is hybrid vigor. Mm. So when you, well, well again, uh, uh, James has explained it before. I'm not going to repeat it because I'm not, I'm not probably not able to because this <laughs> is like <laughs> plant biology, like in depth. So you can explain it by like having two shit plants that are shit in different ways. And then you make those <laughs> okay. shit plants have sex and they have miraculously the coolest fucking badass baby you've ever seen. But if yeah. that coolest badass baby then has babies... The grandchildren, if you like, will be really mm -hmm. weird. So they're like a, a mixture of good and bad and crazy and yes. fucked up. So yes. you would buy yes, exactly. the really sexy, snazzy seeds every year. And then you wouldn't collect and resow the seeds because the grandchildren would be super dodgy looking. Yes. And that's exactly what I needed to make my <laughs> example. So again, my family has a farm. I phoned my mom and I asked, what plants do you not plant the next year? Because my family started saving seeds a few years ago. To cut the costs, basically. Because, of course, I mean, buying seeds every year has its own costs. And if the farm mm. is not huge, you can still save seeds and stuff. So my dad was really keen on, like, doing our own thing and, like, we being self-sufficient. But basically, he started saving barley and wheat. And I asked my mom, is there something that you don't save for the next year? And she said, yes, sunflowers. 
because sunflowers make really, really shitty grandkids, basically. <laughs> that, yeah. that is like, going back to your metaphor, that is yeah. exactly what it is. Hybrid sunflowers. So sunflowers, for example, because of hybrid vigor, it's not even in your interest to plant them again, even if yeah. the seed is really expensive, because yeah. you will not get as much yield the next year, and it will not be viable to plant even the next year after that, if you collect that kind of seed. So that, mm. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. So it's funny that for me, like as a scientist, I have to go back and ask my mom about these things because I don't know. <laughs> and she knows more sometimes than I do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway. But yeah, farmer knowledge. Yeah, farmer knowledge. Yeah. I, again, I still have my, my, you know, again, we should have an episode about farming. I think we should. Yeah, like yeah, that. definitely. I can, I can give all my opinions about yeah. <laughs> uh, why, I, why I think there should be a collaboration and we should not rely completely on farmer's knowledge. Yeah, definitely. But so anyways. yeah, that, that kind of leads on to my next section, which is about whether farmers themselves feel whether they are being locked in and abused by patents yeah, and this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm going to split this into two sections in the developed yes. world and the developing world. Because they are incredibly different situations. Yes. So essentially, in the developed world, the farmers in surveys in general are very happy with this situation they're in with big agri companies, including mm -hmm. the concept of buying seeds every year. And that's mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. a couple of reasons. The first one is hybrid vigor. The mm -hmm. second one is convenience. A lot of the time, the actual collection of that seed, the farmers won't necessarily collect individual seeds and dehusk them and whatever and get them ready for planting. That's a lot more work. Mm -hmm. It's more convenient to just buy a it's sack of pre-ready seeds for yeah. planting in your fields. The third reason is that very often, in fact, I would expect almost uniformly, unless it's an organic field, the seeds are pre-treated with chemicals and various different chemicals to essentially enable better germination and growth of the plant in its yes. early stages, which yes. is when the plant yes. is most yes. vulnerable. And the farmer themselves won't have the capacity to do that treatment. You won't have the facilities to do it, won't have the money to do it. So, you know, they could do it without, but the seed will be less viable. You'll get a, yeah. a reduced yield because fewer plants will make it into adulthood. So it is generally convenient. Yeah, and there is an issue. Just to clarify, I don't know if you've ever come across commercial seeds that are ready for planting. They usually have very vibrant colours. They're usually either blue or they're really pink. That is mm. basically the treatment So that has been applied on those seeds. So, for example, my dad, he normally plants way more seeds than he actually would need to because of that issue, because creepy crawlies like a bit, oh, oh, new seeds, mm. food, interesting, even ants, if you think about it, you know, they just, they just take it and eat it and bury it uh, underground, or even mm. birds sometimes in our fields, just after, <laughs> right after you've planted it, they just go and pick it out, because I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, nature, <laughs> again, so he normally plants way more than he would if mm. there were treated seeds and stuff. Or even just fungi. Some treatments mm, yeah, are yeah, also yeah. antifungal, so they don't yeah. rot in the soil, for example. And then another thing that was generally said in terms of how farmers see Monsanto, and it's radically mm -hmm. different to how everyone else sees Monsanto, I think. <laughs> what generally seemed to be said is that farmers see Monsanto as like a reliable company. They are like a dealership. Mm. A couple of them used equivalents in terms of like, if you were going to buy a car, would you buy it from Ford or BMW directly, you know, like from the dealership? Or would you go to the back mm -hmm. of someone's mm -hmm. garage and just buy, you know, a Ford car, but you yeah. don't have anything yeah. that yeah. you can yeah, trust yeah, about course. them? And they are a reliable company that they have worked for yeah. for a yeah. very, very long time. 
And those licenses by Monsanto are essentially a stamp of quality, which they are happy to go for. Yeah, again, they have the Mm. money, they have the research. The final thing to consider, which is the main reason I've kept these guys separate, so the the developed world farmers separate from the developing world, is that the economic situation they're in is completely different. So generally, in the developed world, the farmers here have massive, massive farms. We've really cut down on small scale farmers in the developed world, which means that these big mm-hmm, farmers mm-hmm. have a lot more resources to play with in the first place. So these investments mm-hmm. of buying seeds every year aren't too difficult to get going with. You know, they have the capital already to begin with to make that first yeah. initial investment and then keep going with it. The other thing is that in the developed world, we have highly protected farming practices and highly protected markets. So generally, Mm -hmm. farmers are not in a difficult situation in terms of keeping above water because the governments protect them and subsidize them massively. So they have a huge amount of protection behind them. So they're unlikely to go into huge amounts of debt. If their crops fail, they're not going to go bankrupt. They have got huge protection by the government and that security enables them to do things which are more expensive and to use things like GM crops without those issues. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the situation in the developed world. Yeah, I was thinking as you were saying that, I was also thinking it's not only a matter of income and not being helped by the government. It's also a matter of labour regulations Mm. and health and safety regulations. I remember reading something about the fact that the way that a herbicide or just a, a treatment for a crop is applied in the western world and uh, the way it is applied in developing countries is completely different sometimes developing countries don't have the machinery and the safety measure to apply it being a pesticide Mm. or it being a a treatment uh, on the crop with machinery because they don't have the money to invest in something like that so a lot of it is labor intensive and farmers put themselves literally in the middle of the field and they do it by hand and that can have impacts on health and, you know, these kinds of things. So it's not just a matter of uh, preserving the livelihood in the long term and bankruptcy and stuff like that, but also directly there are differences that we might not think about in terms of the practices itself is very, very mm. different. And in the US, uh, for example, one person can manage acres and acres and hectares and hectares of fields and have a huge farm and still be able to do everything because he owns a tractor. Yeah. You know, he or she, by the way, because there's a lot oh, of yeah, indeed, farmers indeed. as well. So yeah, sometimes they don't have the instruments. Mm. Yeah, so with the developed world farmers, they seem to be okay with the patents in general. And it's the people around yeah. them that seem to not like it for whatever reason, kind of ignoring that the farmers are getting on with life pretty happy. In the developing world, it's a different situation, which I think definitely deserves its own episode because how big agri, including GM, affects the developing world is very complex. But I will summarise it and then look at patents specifically. So the problems in the developing world in terms of agriculture uh, and the differences versus the developed world is that largely Mm -hmm. huge amounts of the farms are smallholder or subsistence farms. So families that own a small section of land that grow food for themselves. And if there's an excess, they will sell it. Um, And huge amounts of rural developing world populations are in that sector. That's how they make a living and that's how they survive and that's what they do. 
there are lots of changes happening in the developing world, a lot of them enforced by the developed world, which are restructuring Mm -hmm. that balance and taking people out of agriculture and into industry. That is having generally a really shit effect on poor people in these countries. On top of that, you have generally a less well-built infrastructure. So irrigation won't be available in a lot of these areas. There will be very few farmer protection rights. And all the protectionism that we see in the Western countries are banned in the developing countries, which again is kind of enforced by the developed world, which again is shit. (laughs) (laughs) And then also because these farmers are usually really small scale, they often don't have the capital to invest in GM. So what they do instead is they Mm -hmm. borrow that money. Mm -hmm. But the problem then becomes Mm -hmm. is that a lot of the times these countries don't have sufficient protection for people borrowing money. So they get in debt with loan sharks and then the debt spirals out of control and that can become really damaging. Mm -hmm. But what I want to stress is that this is not GM specific. Yeah, it's an economic problem. How the developed world is enforcing changes on the developing world in terms of that change from agriculture to industry how that shift in agriculture, reducing the numbers of smallholders to making lots of very big farms managed by fewer people, that Mm -hmm. process itself Mm -hmm. is being extremely damaging to developing world farmers. And GM has nothing to do with that at all. In many of these countries, GM is illegal, but the problems are still happening and these farmers are still having their livelihoods changed and going into debt and being impoverished. And it's nothing to do with GM. That's not to say that particularly GM crops aren't making it worse, those potentials that they are. Mm -hmm. But I think when you focus on this issue, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You know, someone's attacking you and they're holding a knife and you're focusing on the knife not the fact that someone's attacking mm-hmm. you, which is the actual problem. Yeah, I agree. You know, with if that. they weren't holding a knife, they could be holding a fork or a sword or a gun, whatever. Yeah, like, I, I was the thinking, the problem yeah, is that someone holding a purse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the problem is that someone's attacking you. Yeah, exactly. And that's the situation that the developing world farmer is in. So, specifically, when it comes to patents, the issue for a lot of farmers is that in the developing world, about eighty percent of farmers reuse their seeds. And they are used to that. So that could become a problem in terms of suing long term. Mm -hmm. They also, because of the patents, because the companies want their investment back, those seeds are more expensive. So it it requires investment so they can become in debt with loan sharks. Often, if the crop is successful, then they'll be okay and they can make that money back and sell it. But if for whatever reason... The crop is not successful because they have got rain-fed fields instead of irrigation or whatever. Then they can't make that money back. Then they're in debt to the loan shark and then, you know, all sorts of trouble happens. So I think patents do negatively affect developing world farmers, but they've got much bigger problems on their hands. Yeah, it's not the only thing. It contributes, but it's not the driver of this problem. Mm. There are underlying issues that we have to solve first. Yeah, absolutely. And patents are on top of those, but they're not the only ones yeah Yeah. and because of that those sort of reasons shouldn't be used as an anti-gm excuse these are absolutely issues that need to be solved but it's not a gm issue yeah yeah absolutely and that is all i have to say about patenting yeah that was great james thank you very much so thanks everyone for staying with us in this journey through law lawsuits and patents and or patents oh jeez I can't, I can't say it. <laughs> and patents and so on. Thank you so very much, James. And we would also like to thank Peg and the Rejected for their lovely music that accompanies us every episode with the song 
red, white, black, and blue. I always get the order of the <laughs> colors wrong, so sorry about that. Uh, hopefully, I didn't. And yes, please follow us on Twitter at GemPodified, at, on Facebook at GemPodified. And if you have any questions or if you have comments, if you want to like us, if you want to subscribe and all the things, <laughs> uh, send us. A, <laughs> you can also send us an email at geneticallypodified at gmail.com. And uh, yes, I think that's all. Please let us know if you like this. We really want to know. You can also review us on iTunes. So, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> see, you in, see you in the next episode. Bye-bye, James. Later.